0: Hi, and welcome to another one of the Branch Online Sermons. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about what it means to be the church, what it means to be God's people called into a relationship with God through Jesus by the gospel and being built together by the Spirit week by week as we gather in church so that we can take the gospel with us to where it's to wherever God has put us. But today and next week, I want to focus with you on two particular issues that I think threaten our life together as a church. If you like, things that our society makes it difficult, reasons our society makes it difficult for us to be a church. And the one that we're focusing on today is our lack of rest. Even before COVID, it was pretty clear that many people were facing a crisis of rest, When you talk to people, they say, I'm so busy. Uh, And people look exhausted. And COVID seems to have confirmed that. One of the things that people have said about COVID has been the opportunity that they've found just to rest, to not be so busy, to not be racing out of the house, running from one thing to another, running kids from one thing to another. Uh, That lack of rest has become such an issue that even secular writers are starting to talk about that and even talking about a secular Sabbath, that is uh, a Sabbath but not uh, a day off, but not because uh, they're religious. So I want to reflect with you today on rest and I want to start by reflecting on the biblical idea of rest and then move on to apply that idea to our life together in the church and to our lives more broadly. We'll be looking at a few passages, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 to 11, Deuteronomy 5, verse 8 to 10, and then Matthew eleven, twenty-eight 28 to 30. If you haven't read those passages yet, I would encourage you to pause the video and to read those now. The first two passages there, Exodus and Deuteronomy, are from the Ten Commandments. And in the first, God has just brought the people out of Egypt, uh, and brought them to himself. In the second, in Deuteronomy, God is about to bring the people into the promised land. But both of those passages explain what's called the Sabbath. The Sabbath Sabbath literally means to rest or to stop. And according to God's command, the people were to completely rest from their labors one day in every seven In the Old Testament, that Sabbath command was central to the life of God's people, so much so that in Exodus 31, the Sabbath is described as the sign of God's covenant with the people through Moses, or uh, the sign of the Old Covenant. And the Sabbath command was not just one command among many, but the Sabbath command was really a kind of principle that worked its way out in a whole lot of other commands about rest and celebration. So in the Old Testament, God not only gave the people the weekly Sabbath, he gave them annual feast days when they were to rest. Uh, They even had a whole year off every seven years, and every 50 years they had two years off. In other words, God is really, really big on rest. You might say God is extravagant when it comes to rest. Well, I suspect that if God was running the Australian government today, some of us would probably accuse God of being too easygoing. Imagine that if employers had to provide for one year off every seven, not just three months off uh, every ten years. God is extravagant uh, about rest. Uh, why is that? I mean, we were made to work, weren't we? But actually, God loves rest in its proper place. But what do we make of rest and in, in the Sabbath in the New Testament? Uh, if you know your Bible, you might know that in Romans 14, Paul says that we no longer need to hold any day above another day. Uh, not only that, the book of Hebrews tells us that the Old Covenant, of which the the Sabbath was a key sign, the Old Covenant is obsolete and disappearing. That's Hebrews 8 verse 13. It also tells us in Hebrews in chapter 4 that there is a greater Sabbath rest on offer in the New Covenant and that's a rest that far exceeds the kind of one day in seven rest in the Old Covenant. So What then do we make of that pattern of rest, uh, of one day of rest in seven from the Old Testament? What do we make of that in the New Testament era? Well, while it's important to recognise that there is something greater about rest in the New Testament, it's also important to recognise that that pattern of one day's rest in every seven is not primarily something grounded in God's covenant with the people through Moses... It's not something just part of the Old Covenant, but it's a pattern that is established in creation. The Bible's story of rest begins long before Exodus or Deuteronomy or the Ten Commandments. It begins at the creation of the world. In Genesis 1, we read how God created the world in six days, but then we're told that on the seventh day, he rested from all his labor. The Sabbath law is made on the basis of that creational principle established by God in his own practice. In that sense, the Sabbath is not firstly a law, but it's part of the very fabric of creation. It's part of the fabric of the very world in which we live. So although it's true that there is a greater eternal rest, to which the Sabbath pointed, a greater eternal rest, which as Christians, we're already invited to enter into in some sense. Although there's a greater rest, that doesn't mean that we don't need to rest weekly anymore. Uh, To say that would be to fail to properly understand where we are on the biblical timeline. It fails to understand that although... Uh, God has sent his son to redeem us from under the law, we remain enfleshed in this creation. There is still then a physical, emotional and spiritual need to rest. Uh, In fact, not only do we need to rest, Jesus tells us that rest is one of God's good gifts to us. Uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is, God made the Sabbath as a gift for us. It was made for our benefit. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had made the Sabbath a kind of straitjacket of rules that people needed to conform to, but that's not what the Sabbath is. It's a gift to be received. Uh, you would think, though, given how few of us actually take the opportunity to really rest, you would think that the Sabbath was for many of us an enormous burden, something that gets in the way of our lives, something that we'd be better off without. But the Bible says that the Sabbath is God's gift to us, and yet it's a gift that very few of us know how to receive. And it's a gift that our culture makes very, very difficult for us To receive. So rest is God's gift to us. That's the first thing that we need to understand. Rest is God's gift to us. But what does it mean to rest? Often we think of rest as stopping uh, anything that is work. Uh, in, In that way, rest is anything that's not work. But the biblical view of rest is actually far more than that. And unless we understand what is at the heart of rest in the Bible, we won't really be able to truly find rest. When we look back at God's rest in Genesis 1, what we find is that at the heart of what God did there is to enjoy all his work. Uh, He gets to the seventh day, and as he does, if you like, in all the other days, and every other day leading up to the seventh day, God looks back on what He's done and delights in it. And really, the seventh day is kind of uh, the culmination of all those days. God stops and uh, sets aside that day, sets aside that day to reflect on and enjoy all His work. Uh, He gets back, he gets to the end of the seventh day, he gets to the seventh day and he looks back at what he's created and it's very good. That idea of enjoying and celebrating God's work uh, in creation is also found in Exodus chapter 20. There God says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the Sabbath day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That is, the point is not simply that we follow God's practice of one day of rest in seven. The reason God stopped was to look back and enjoy and delight in all that he had made, Uh, to look back and enjoy all that he had accomplished and to see that it was exactly as he had intended. And really, at the heart of our rest too, ought to be looking back and enjoying and delighting in all God's work, not least his work in creating this magnificent world. God has made a glorious world for us to enjoy, and for us to enjoy to his glory. We ought not to feel guilty about enjoying that world. In fact, God is honoured when we enjoy it, rightly. But rest ...doesn't simply mean enjoying the world and life, but it means enjoying it as a means to enjoying God. The chief end and purpose of every human being, as the Westminster Catechism says, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the great purpose of the Sabbath as well. Now, in concrete terms, that might mean doing something like going for a walk with family and friends to enjoy nature... And not just to enjoy nature, but to enjoy it with the end purpose of glorifying God and giving thanks to God along the way for the birds and the trees and the fresh air and the sun and the rain. The Sabbath, in other words, is an opportunity to stop and to direct our minds to enjoying God. One of the problems that you and I face is that our lives are so compressed that we never stop to delight in God, even our enjoyment Uh, of things in life is often a relentless pursuit that we squeeze in as something to be kind of ticked off our bucket list. There's this endless list of things that we need to enjoy and it just becomes another pursuit. It's not really restful. Uh, But when we live like that, we, we don't rest because we don't enjoy God. We go away on holidays and we come back more tired than we were before. We have a weekend, but we go back to work more exhausted than we were on Friday. But not only is a day of rest uh, an opportunity to stop and look back at the uh, good world that God has made and enjoys, not just an opportunity to look at the world and enjoy that. A day of rest is also an opportunity to stop and look back at what God has done uh, through us in the past week. Often we're so consumed by everything that still needs to be done uh, that we, uh, and that we want to achieve that we never stop to enjoy what we've actually already accomplished, what God has enabled us to do. Someone was telling me the other day that they realised some time ago that whenever they were doing a task, their mind was not actually on the task that they were doing, but actually on the 10 things that they still needed to do once they'd finished that task. Uh, And much of our lives can be spent like that. But in God's grace, he's given us one day where we can actively break that cycle of relentless pursuit, a day when we can stop not to think about what still needs to be done, but to celebrate what has been done. So rest looks back to what God has done in making this world Uh, in creation, and it looks back to what God has done through us in the past week. But in Deuteronomy 5, a different justification is given for the Sabbath. God says, "...observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember that you are slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day." In Deuteronomy, the people are called this time to look back and reflect on what God had done in bringing them out of Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt and God had redeemed them from that. So again, at the heart of the rest command is reflection in and delight in what God has done. But now it's reflection and delight not simply in the work of creation, but also in the work of redemption and, if you like, recreation. We need to stop from our work, from the pursuit of our lives, and to remember and delight in what God has done in redeeming us from sin, in sending Jesus to die in our place, in uniting us with Jesus in his resurrection from the dead, in sending his spirit to dwell in us. We do all that When we gather on Sunday, we strive to leave behind all our preoccupations and to focus on God's grace and goodness. We come together to point each other to the grace and glory of God in creation and in redemption. We come to have our hearts lifted up so that we can carry our renewed hope in the gospel out with us into a new week. And in God's great pattern, that recalibration is not just once a year, it's not just once a, a month, it's not just some weeks when we can manage to find the time, but that recalibration that God has given us is every week. We need that recalibration every week. And not just for a couple of hours every week while we're together at church, yes. That's at the heart of our delight and enjoyment of God, but we also need it through the whole day. We need to recapture Sundays. We need to recapture a day, a whole day, of worship and delight in God. Now, that doesn't mean that every moment of that day is spent with your nose in the Bible, but it does mean that it's a day when your whole effort and energy is geared toward delight and enjoyment in God. If we think of rest simply as uh, resting from work, resting from activity, we will not gain the greatest benefit that God offers us. The greatest benefit that God offers us is to rest so that we might teach our hearts to delight in Him. God's gift is for us to be able to stop from our work so that we can delight in Him, focus on Him, that is his most precious gift to us. What we need is not just to stop working, what we need is to stop working and to start worshipping. So, God made us for rest. Rest is his gift to us, and the heart of rest is active delight and joy in God in his creation and redemption. And there's a special role for doing that together in church when we gather. But for some years now, I've been concerned, deeply concerned, about what I like to call the complexification of church. Church has become so complicated and difficult and cumbersome that I'm not always convinced that it's really that restful anymore. It's become a kind of industry. And as a result, Sunday has often become a kind of industry as well. And we do that to ourselves often with our expectations. Uh, This example is probably not such a big issue for us at the branch, but some churches launch a massive performance every Sunday. And that performance requires a huge effort. One friend of mine who uh, attends another church told me once that she needed to be at church two hours before the service started when she was on sound in order to rehearse and get ready for the service. The reason was that everything needs to be polished. Uh, And even if we're not like that at the branch to such a great degree, I think it's very easy for us still to be like that in smaller degrees. But what if, what if instead of needing everything to be sharp and polished and wonderful and addressing every particular need that we might feel, what if we just accepted that at the heart of church is messy people who've been called together by the gospel, who've been filled with the Spirit, and who gather together every week for the ministry of prayer and the word? What if we accepted that at the heart of the gathered church is hearing the word read? explained and applied to our hearts? What if we accepted that at the heart of the gathered church is praying together with one another, reflecting together and exhorting and encouraging one another, singing together, uh, even if the songs are really old and really simple and completely unaccompanied and we're not very good singers, and if it's awkward? What if we accepted that those simple things are not just putting up with the status quo, putting up with the minimum. But what if we accepted that those things are absolutely life-changing because they're God's means of grace by which he's promised to build and strengthen his church and build us together in love and good deeds? One of the questions I've been asking myself since COVID began, and even before that, is how can we minister and serve each other without lots of planning and preparation, but in ways that are still rich and maybe even more rich than we might have been used to, Then they might be more rich than in what we were doing before. Again, I hate to keep going back to the same thing, but again, the group prayer and discussion that we've been doing at, the, at Innocent Street, for example, is part of that. It doesn't require any planning. There's no preparation. You don't need to come with pre-prepared prayers or pre-prepared thoughts about the sermon. There's no planning or preparation except a life of preparation. That is, we're prepared for what we do together by God's Word and Spirit through His ordinary means of grace, week after week, changing and refining us through prayer and the Word. Yes, those things can be a bit strange and awkward at first, but people have shared with me that the more they've done it, the more they've become at home with it. But think too about other things. Think about other things that we take for granted that shape the restfulness or lack of restfulness of our life together. Lots of the things that we expect from our church life together can actually take huge amounts of time and preparation from people who maybe are already busy serving God where he has put them. What's interesting during COVID is that we've had to get along with some of the things that uh, we're used to. We've discovered that you can run music ministry, for instance, on a shoestring. You can even sing along to recorded music. That's okay. We can even do without coffee after church, or without creche or Sunday school. Sure, uh, those last two have taken a bit more of an adjustment, maybe. It's been an adjustment for parents learning not to stress about their kids uh, making noise or being unsettled, and it's been an adjustment for those without kids learning to be patient. But those are both good things for us as a church body to learn. And other good things have come out of that as well. Uh, One person shared with me a few weeks ago how their four-year-old daughter prayed in one of the group prayers with adults. (laughs) Or another person uh, shared how their son, who has learning difficulties, could share his insights from the sermon. Or someone else uh, who since Sunday shared with me who, uh, because Sunday school hasn't been on uh, at the moment, they've been much more intentional about discipling their child at home good things have come out of not doing some of the things that we just expect to be part of church, but can sometimes make church overly complicated. But church doesn't need to be complicated. Church is not rocket science. The Christian life is not rocket science. We make it complicated ourselves. But at the end of the day, what really matters is gathering together under God's word to listen to God, to pray together, to sing, to be built up and refreshed by the gospel so that we can go out into the places where God has put us to serve him there. So God made us for rest. Rest is his great gift. The heart of rest is delight and joy in God. And there's a special role in doing that together in church. And we need to be mindful to make sure that our time together is restful, is joyful, is delightful. But finally, Jesus says something very important about rest as well uh, in the passage that we read from Matthew 11. Jesus says that if we come to him, he will give us rest. But the really remarkable thing about what Jesus says is that the rest that he gives us comes from us taking his yoke upon us. Now, you don't normally think of a yoke as bringing rest, but that's what Jesus says, Jesus says that the rest that he brings actually comes from us giving up our lives to him. I recently heard someone say that the most tiring thing in our lives is sin. And that's actually true. It's probably not the thing that most of us will put our finger on, but the most tiring thing in our lives is sin. And the most tiring sin of all, I think, which is really the sin that is at the heart of every other sin, the most tiring sin is hanging on to our lives and trying to keep them for ourselves. We think that giving up our lives to Jesus will be exhausting. And so we hang on to our lives and actually we exhaust ourselves. We think that giving up our lives to Jesus will be exhausting and that keeping our lives for ourselves will be restful. But it's actually the opposite. Hanging on to things that God is trying to prise out of our fingers is not restful, it's exhausting. But when we give up our lives to God, we truly find rest. When I talk with people uh, their non-working lives tend to be as crammed with activity as their working lives. In fact, it's probably worse than that. I suspect that most people's non-working lives are more crammed with activity than their working lives. It's our relaxation time, which actually often is tiring us out. So many of us try to squeeze as much as possible into every spare minute, and so often that's in pursuit of our personal life goals. It could be fitness, it could be reading more books, it could be learning another language, it could be enjoyment, it could be getting better at Soccer or footy or whatever sport it is. It could be winning the next competition or finishing the next project or remodeling something at home or repainting the back deck or spending time with friends. We have this endless list of personal goals which exhausts us and we try to hang on to those rather than give them up to Jesus but it just becomes more and more exhausting. All those things that we set our heart on, those things that we would like to do, they're not necessarily bad things. They might be good things. But they're also not necessarily things that God wants you to do. In fact, those things that you set your heart on, those personal life goals, they may not be things that God wants you to do at all. God might not want you to do any of them. And yet so often we hang on to them, desperately, unwilling to give up our life to Jesus, because we think that they will give us the joy and the rest that we want. But it's so tiring to hang on to those things that God wants us to let go of, those things that God is trying for our good to prise out of our fingers. True rest comes. When we give up our life to Jesus, all our dreams, all our goals, all our expectations for today, for tonight, for tomorrow, for the weekend, for the school holidays, for next year, for 10 years time, for 30 years time, when we give up those goals and say, Lord, I offer myself to you today. We need to do that every day to give up our lives to Jesus, to consciously say, Lord, here is my life, I offer it to you. But we need to not only do that every day, but we need to do that every week. We need to set aside time every week, one day a week, particularly to stop and to consciously give up our lives to Jesus, to say to God, Lord, here is my life today. I give it to you. We need to take a day out of the week to be consciously doing that, to be giving our life to God again. And that Effort on Sunday or whatever day it is will not only reshape our Sunday, it will reshape the rest of our lives. We won't hang on so tightly to all our dreams and ambitions and aspirations. We'll hold on to them loosely if we hold on to them at all. Our lives will be driven by the gospel, by joy in what God has done, by genuine rest in Jesus and delight in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, as we learn to let go, we'll find real rest, true rest, better than any overseas holiday, better than the best experience that we've ever had. It will cost us everything to find that rest. it will be the greatest rest the most precious rest the most wonderful rest that any of us can ever find let's pray dear lord and heavenly father our lives in this society and the lives driven by our own sinful hearts lord are so allergic to rest we are just go 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 every day lord we're driven by our ambitions at work, driven by our personal ambitions, driven by our personal goals, driven by our, re- our goals for relaxation and enjoyment even, driven by our hopes for the weekend, by, by all that will get done. And Lord, we never have a moment, more than one or two seconds in a day, it seems at times, to stop, and to delight and enjoy you. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for that and that you would so set your glory in our hearts, that you would so teach us and strengthen us that every week we could stop and devote a day to you. Help us to know what that means, to stop and to rest and to delight in you and enjoy you. Help us to do that together as we gather as we gather together to be built up by the gospel. Uh, Lord, help us uh, to do that throughout the rest of the day as well, once a week, as we learn what it means to worship you more fully. And Lord, help us to think as well as a church what it means to be restful in our time together. Uh, Help us to, uh, to embrace the ordinary things of the Christian life, The ministry of prayer and the word, empowered by your Holy Spirit, which is radically life-changing. Lord, forgive us so often for thinking that we need all the bells and whistles, when really what we just need is what you've already given us. The simple things of the Christian faith, the simple disciplines of the Christian life. of the word and prayer, of gathering together, of singing to one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, so that we might be refreshed and renewed by the gospel that we might take that out then into the 96.5% of our life where you have placed us to serve you in those places for your glory and the proclamation of Jesus. Lord, we ask it in his name. Amen.